0: Good morning, buddy. Welcome back to another edition of the To The Point podcast. are doing well on this Friday. And of course, as we start the podcast, we hear the To The Point mascot, Dirk, just start to bark. So that that bodes well for the show today, but a lot to dive into today. Um, obviously, there's games last night, which we will touch on, but some big headlines from around the world of sports as well. Um, the shakeup uh, in with the Boston Celtics organization, uh, what they're going to do moving forward a big transition moving from Danny Ainge to uh, Brad Stevens into the front office and touch on that. And, you know, the Celtics making a decision compared to another organization in different sports. And what, what I mean by that is the Celtics, they have a standard that they have set. That's actually factual. There are teams and I'm sure there's fans out there that believe that their team thinks every year that we, every year, our goal is to win the title and it's complete bullshit. The Celtics aren't, they, they have, they have one goal every year. And that's to win an NBA title. And if they don't get that, they make change. You could say that same thing for the Toronto Maple Leafs for other organizations. It's not the same thing because it, it's, it's just different. And I'll dive into that in greater detail. when, when we get there, let's talk about the Mark Shifley suspension. Um, I knew he was going to get suspended. I did not think it was going to be four games. I think it's excessive. I, uh, I, Again, video replay. I hate it. Obviously, they use it for this. I've watched the hit so many times now; it's you know, ad nauseum. And I have a different outlook on it. it hasn't? I, and honestly, I I don't think uh, the NHL got it right. Again, um, the one the one time this year I can honestly say I think the NHL got it right was the Nazim Kadri hit, and then not suspending Tom Wilson. But you know, you shouldn't suspend somebody for just being being a physical presence. But it seems more and more. And if you throw a hit nowadays, you're seen as a, a villain or a dirty hockey player when it's the freaking playoffs. And, you no, know, let's start, I was going to start with it, the NBA. I'm, I'm going to get there before we get to the games last night. Let's start with Mark Scheifele just because I'm there. Um, So I'm waiting last night. I get back from work. I'm talking to my dad about it. And he goes, you think we'll hear? I said, yeah, probably tonight. They usually announce it during the games. So they announce it just after the start of the Islanders Bruins uh, 830 start last night. And I see four games and it, it stunned me. You know, I thought two games, Uh, it was late, 50 seconds left in the the game. So we get a five minute charging major. So that would mean, okay, you miss one game. It's the playoffs. You had another one. That's two games. That's time served. If you ask me and um. But four, I mean, this is lowering the boom on, you know, a player that is not a dirty hockey player. And this was just for the, for the record, not a dirty play. Jake Evans sees the puck and he's going to net. He does exactly the right thing until he keeps his head down. Now, I don't know what you can do as a defender when somebody has their head down and you try to hit them because guess what? They're in a vulnerable position and something we see all the time now is defensemen, when they're on their side and they see a guy coming, what do they do? They turn and it's a blindside hit and people say, well, that was a dirty check. It was a check from behind. No, it was not. It was a player changing their body position at the last second so that they can either draw a penalty or it makes the attacker look villainous in the, in this case because they like uh they had a physical presence on the play and jake evans you're trying to score a goal you're trying to tuck that one home mark shifley did he beeline it from his own zone no doubt it was a charge but are we going to teach our kids you know the future players of the game uh you know what on that play yeah just mail it in you know let him let him put the goal home it's a one-goal hockey game. And to set a precedent to the future kids of this game, okay, when, when a guy's real close to the net and you can you can hit him to stop him from scoring a goal, or you can just let him, you know, poke it home, just let him score. Just give him the space and, uh, yeah, just let him have it. Like, that, that's what we're teaching our future kids of the game. Well... How soft can we make hockey? We're seeing a shift where, you know, concussions, head injuries, they should be talked about openly because it's a serious issue. Of course, concussions, CTE, it's, it's an ongoing problem, but, but here's just the facts of life. Good show. If you've never seen it, concussions, head trauma, Is going to be in sports forever because just black and white, it's a physical combat sport. You don't sign up to play checkers thinking you're going to get a concussion. You sign up to play hockey, you know the risks. Careers are ended. When you play football, when you play hockey, when you play rugby, you know there's a risk. You know it. When you play in the NFL, you know that maybe your knee isn't going to be very good when you're done as a running back because you can blow it out two to three times. In this case, I don't know what Mark Shifley can do. Was he full tilt uh, Wednesday night? Yeah. He went after Ben Sherratt. He clearly was pissed off. The team was terrible. and But I I disagree with the suspension again. Four games in the playoffs. Okay, if you suspend him four games regular season, fine. So what this tells me is that this hit is four games in the playoffs. I double everything that I see in the playoffs. This is at least an eight to 10-game suspension in the regular season. Like, are you crazy? Like, what would have Tom Wilson gotten for this hit? He'd be out of the damn league. You know, I, I really like Ray Ferraro, but he compared this hit to the Rafi Torres one, and I completely disagree Rafi Torres targets the head every time he hits somebody. He was a dirty player, if you ask me. He's similar to Matt Cook, who I have no respect for. Um, This was... The the point of contact was not the head. And seeing... Was it a scary play? Of course, Jake Evans went flying. But another thing that has to be ratified in, in life and in sports is you judge something based on the injury, or how it looked after the fact. If Jake Evans gets up and walks that off, is there a suspension? To me, there, there isn't. If he gets up and he's fine, he's you know doing a jig, there's no suspension there. But because he's laying on the ice for a period of time and there's a stretcher, you feel pressure to suspend him on the play. If there's no injury, then you look at Tom Wilson, the incident this, this year with the Rangers. Panarin didn't get hurt on the play. Bushnevich did not get hurt on the play, quote unquote. So, th- I think that helped him avoid a suspension. When he hit Oscar Sundquist across the middle, he was injured. When Nazim Kadri laid his hit in the first round, there was an injury on the play that makes it look worse. And uh, it's this could be a, a potential dagger for the Winnipeg Jets. Do they still have a better team than the Montreal Canadiens on paper? Yes. You know, if they get Paul Stastny didn't play Game One, but if he can come back, you don't have Mark Scheifele. You put Stastny in at center. You still have Pierre Luc Dubois. You still have Adam Lowry, the horse. You got Blake Wheeler, Kyle Connor, Andrew Kopp. Your depth at forward is is there. And looking at the back end, you, you just you expect Josh Morrissey to not be just a complete and utter failure like he was in Game One. You expect Neil Pionk to play like he did this regular season, where he was a key cog in that machine. But Mark Shifley is, is Winnipeg's best player. And he's one of the best players in the world. That's not an easy one to make up. I mean, Montreal, we've, I've talked about it for weeks. They don't have a superstar player. They just, every line contributes. You can throw Suzuki out there. He scores in game one. KK scores in game one. Eric Stahl in the fourth line scores in game one. Brendan Gallagher scores on the power play. That's three different lines that scored a goal and then a power play goal. That's how they win games they don't say, okay, it's Suzuki or bust tonight. And for Winnipeg, they need to find more consistent scoring. And it, it, they played great in round one. They won three overtime games game, in, in game one of round two. They were just completely awful. They look like they're off nine days. Josh Morrissey looked like he was in Punta Cana, sipping a pina colada. And, you know, Hellebuck wasn't great either, but you need to see a, This is a huge opportunity, and this is why you trade for a guy like Pierre-Luc Dubois. Pierre-Luc Dubois was traded for to be a horse in the playoffs. He was a horse for Columbus last year. He needs to step up here. He needs to be the man. Scheifele's out. He's not eligible to come back until at least game six. At this point, there would be no game six because Montreal's ahead. Game two tonight, Dubois, you need to be more creative. Nick Ehlers, Kyle Connor. I think Nick Ehlers has been great. Kyle Connor, be more effective, be heavier on the boards. Don't be as soft as you have, as you were in game one. And just a more of a liability, you know, just be more active defensively. I think you see Montreal's forwards do a way better job than people give them credit for at just being available defensively. Eric Stahl in round one, Brendan Gallagher, people can hate him. He's, he's good at getting back. He's a good back checker, you know, I don't, I don't really care if people don't like him or not. He's an effective hockey player. Um, Corey Perry, you're telling me this guy doesn't care? This guy couldn't get a, couldn't get a job from the Toronto Maple Leafs in the offseason. Now he's playing great in the postseason again for the Montreal Canadiens. So for Winnipeg, I, I look at Pierre-Luc Dubois, it's on you. Adam Lowry, Adam Lowry's going to do his thing. Adam Lowry's going to play hard every night. You saw him in game one. He almost tried to get them back in the game, scores a shorthanded goal. The guy's going to be a horse because that's just what he is. He's an effective player. But if Stassi didn't come back, Dubois, you need those top two lines to be efficient, get some goal scoring. And for Halibut, you had a stinker in game one, but Price led him three goals and you still lost. So he's going to have to steal some games in the second round. He's going to have to be better than Price for, for a number of games here. Connor Hellebuck has to be a difference maker. And he won a Vesna last year. Carey Price was just awful in in the regular season. Hellebuck has the potential. He has all the ability to outplay Carey Price. Now, will he? That remains to be seen. But um, I think he's going to have to steal a number of, at least one, maybe two games in this series. Because Montreal has confidence. Are they better than the Toronto Maple Leafs on paper? No, but they beat them. Are they better than the Winnipeg Jets on paper? No. But they beat them in game one and they're three games away from beating them in round two. And that that it just sometimes is about momentum. Was were the Dallas Stars better than the Colorado Avalanche? No. Were the Dallas Stars better than the Vegas Golden Knights last year? No. But they got to the Stanley Cup final. Sometimes it's just about momentum and a team gelling together. And who Montreal, who knows, you know, they have that clearly, they have that belief. I think they play for each other very well. And, you know, Winnipeg's going to have to adopt some of that if they want to, to get back in the series and, and eventually win it. But I don't agree with the suspension and, and it's, it came at me as a big surprise to see Mark Stripley, um suspended for, for uh, four games. So he's only eligible to return in game six and we'll have to wait and see if this, was you know, game one was Mark Sheckley's last game of the, of the, of the season. Um, we're going to get back to hockey, but I'm going to pivot to basketball. Cause last night it was a, it was a big night, but it really, the, the nightcap was the, was the game to watch where the Los Angeles Lakers winning this championship last year in the NBA bubble, LeBron James winning a title with his third different franchise winning uh, one in Cleveland, two in Miami, and then his fourth one with the Los Angeles Lakers last year. Coming into this year, they added, you know, they added Marcus They added Dennis Schroeder. They added Wesley Matthews, adding to, you know, him and Anthony Davis. And, you know, they're just a plethora of talent that they won a championship with last year. But a difficult season. LeBron went through injuries. Anthony Davis, aka Street Close, uh, was constantly injured. And, you know, they're, Role players weren't great. Dennis Schroeder was hit and miss. Marc Gasol has really been a bad piece all year. They acquired Andre Drummond at the trade deadline. He never really fit in, and they head into this series with the Phoenix Suns. And LeBron last night lost for in the for the first time in his career in the first round of the NBA playoffs. He's fourteen and one now uh, in first round playoff matchups. But the Phoenix Suns have slayed that dragon. Chris, you know Red led by Chris Paul the veteran one of LeBron's best friends defeated him last night 113 113 100 and it really it was evident from the first five minutes of the game that Phoenix was not afraid of LA in LA in a closeout game um, Devin Booker makes three threes in the first six minutes this guy's in his sixth career playoff game he's just green to this you know to the, to the playoffs and last night, he scores 47 points, eight for 10 from three point range. That is called an ice cold killer in an elimination game, your sixth playoff game you've ever had in Staples Center, playing against LeBron James, the best player of his era. And you just go out there and whoop his ass. He had a great series for the six games, he scored over 30 points. He's He's just such a great mid-range scorer. And he's only a 33% three-point shooter on the season. Last night, shoots 80%. Just couldn't be stopped. He also, in the first five minutes, Jay Crowder, you know, former teammate of LeBron. They've been jarring with each other the entire series with Crowder being on the Miami Heat last year, who LeBron beat in the NBA Finals. He goes six for 10 from three-point range last night, 18 points, and makes uh, two of them in the first four minutes. Both led to timeouts by the Lakers on the floor. But I, you know, the narrative was Anthony Davis, was he going to play? AKA street clothes as Charles Barkley uh, nicknamed him on inside the NBA the other night. He did play first five minutes. He was on the floor, but about the five minute mark, he jumped in the air attempting to block a shot. And when he landed, he grabbed his groin immediately and uh, went to the bench and he did not play another minute. He played five minutes, getting an assist and a rebound on the night and that was it. You know, LeBron played played some big minutes, played 43 minutes getting, you know, 29 points, 7 rebounds, 9 assists, but it was for naught. The game turned out to be 113-100 113-100, but it was never that close. Uh, Phoenix played a lot of reserves down the stretch. The Lakers played, you know, their starters deep into the game, but Phoenix was in total control from the jump. And you know, Dennis Schroeder did score 20 last night and you saw Decent performances from a few other players, but it just wasn't enough. And I'm not calling it the end of an era. LeBron's 36 years old. He's played more minutes than anybody in almost in NBA history. He's getting there, but this is the first year where I can really say that I didn't see LeBron James of old. He's he, well, he did look old, but not the LeBron James of you know in Miami or in Cleveland where he could win a series, especially a first round series without a second superstar. He beat, the, um, he beat the Indiana Pacers. He beat the Boston Celtics without Kyrie Irving a, a number of years back, without Kevin Love. He couldn't do it here. The Phoenix Suns were too much. And also, he just didn't bring that much to the table. The Lakers are best when Anthony Davis is driving the offense. He's younger. He should. You know, LeBron's 36 years old. He shouldn't be the one having to carry that weight all the time. But Davis just being such a health hazard... It seems like he ha- LeBron has to take that all on his shoulders and it just didn't happen. Now I'm not saying LeBron James is done. He's 36. He'll be back next season. He's still under contract with the Lakers and I'm sure he'll, you know, he'll, they will be a favorite to, to win the title. I mean, it's LeBron James and you know, the, the odds will, will uh, place a good bet for the Lakers, but I, you're starting to see father time. He's, been a guy who's played so many minutes been in so many finals and but through all of that he's had hardly any injuries he likes to play a lot of minutes and it might be catching up with him and he's you know tom brady's 43 and he's only had one injured season where he missed the entire thing but Le- lebron has so much wear and tear you have to go through four rounds every year to get to a finals even when you're losing in the finals it's debilitating and for his legacy this is honestly better than losing in another finals because you know the argument between him and michael jordan is well michael jordan is six and oh in the nba finals just for the record michael jordan has lost three times in the first round including twice being swept um so you know these two are very different players. Uh I LeBron I I much sure, again Jordan's the, the the best to me, but you know you got Kobe Bryant in there. I think you got to still got to put Tim Duncan up very high on that list. Um you can make your own list, but I um but it LeBron's right there. But for his overall legacy, I think this helps him losing in the first round and you know losing in the finals to Brooklyn, which I think would have happened, but this it's gonna be a big offseason for the LA Lakers. You got Dennis Schroeder who's a UFA, Andre Drummond can walk, Kyle Kuzma's guy's under contract, but I'm sure Lakers fans would love to see him move on. He's got two points last night, averaged six points a game for the series, was really, really a no-show and plays little to no defense. So when he's not scoring, he's he's not very effective on the floor. And for Anthony Davis, it's all about health. You know, is he great? He's a top 10 player when he's on the floor. But being on the floor is the main objective. You know, the best ability is availability. It's the oldest cliche in sports, but guess what? It holds up throughout all the years, all the ages of of sports. And for Anthony Davis, he wasn't there. And him being a younger guy, being 28 years old, you need to be on the floor. LeBron at 36, and then you have a bunch of guys that are really underachieving, not confident, shooting the the ball. They shot as a team below 33% from three. You're not going to beat anybody, and you know, this really was the coming out party for Devin Booker. I think it solidified him as a superstar. When you have a closeout game on the road and you put up 47 points and you only miss two three pointers, that's sending a message that you're here to stay, and you know, this is your league now. And I, I LeBron, clearly a lot of respect for him, he signed him a jersey after the game. These two have a lot of mutual respect, but Devin Booker is a guy that can. Shoot the ball like no other. We've seen him get 60-point games in the regular season. He's a he's a guy that can draw 50. So with with Chris Paul, they gotta hope he can stay healthy. But Phoenix is a number two seed, the second best record in the West for a reason, and they're moving on. And prior to the Lakers losing, they we saw the Denver Nuggets uh, dispatch of the Portland trailblazers in six games. Um, it was Damian Lillard in Game Five who really kept his team alive. He got 55 points. Made six threes in the two overtimes, um, with 10 assists, and didn't get a lot of help from CJ McCollum or uh, Nurkic or anybody at that time frame. He couldn't get anybody to help him get a bucket. And last night, Portland started off well. They got they got a lead. Um, Lillard wasn't shooting the ball well, but we saw Nurkic was effective. McCollum, um, even Carmelo Anthony, but it was Nikola Jokic in the third quarter. And Denver did not want to play another. Did not want to play a game seven at home. And Nurkic uh, scored 23 points in the third quarter. He, you know, had a had a big game, getting uh, 30 38 for the night, but 23 points in the third quarter alone. And the Nuggets ended up getting a big performance from Monte Morris. He's there. He's the Denver Nuggets Jordan Clarkson, who plays for the Utah Jazz. He's a guy that can drop 24. On a given night, he can be so effective as a six-man. That's what Morris was in this series. He averaged twenty-three. He uh, averaged eighteen points off the bench last night. He gets twenty-one points, nine assists. You had Jamichael Green, a backup center, who had ten points, nine rebounds, who was uh, grabbing boards for the Sun uh, for the Nuggets. And the Nuggets go back to the second round for the third time in the last four years. It's a franchise that's been winning. You know, they got Nikola Jokic, who's going to be the MVP this year. Jamal Murray's a promising guard, but really, really impressive that they win this series without Jamal Murray. Uh, He was really their superstar in the bubble last year when they beat, beat the Jazz and beat the Clippers in in seven games before falling to the Lakers. But he took a step, you know, the guy from Stratford, Ontario, really showing himself to be a superstar. He blows out his knee and yeah, they're the three C, but they come in a slight underdog, And they still find a way to win this series. Nikola Jokic averaging uh, in five games, he had over 35 points. The one game he had 16 where they they got blown out in game four, but he was fantastic. And it's just been great performances. Michael Porter Jr. Last night had 17 of the Nuggets' first 20 points. Like I said, Monte Morris, uh, some big games from Austin Rivers, uh, who shot the three ball really well, shooting over 40% for the series. And just guys contributing Campazo, who's in the starting lineup now for the injured uh, aforementioned Jamal Murray and the nuggets will face the Suns, And this is a two, three matchup, but you know, we have the potential to see, you know, nuggets, Suns, jazz Mavericks in this, in the second round, no LA teams, no big, no big box office. And I guess the biggest box office name would be Luka Doncic. But, you know, he's never been to a second round, neither has Devin Booker, the future stars of the game. Jokic has been. But, you know, there's no Damian Lillard. There's no Steph Curry. There's no Klay uh, Thompson. There's no LeBron James. And then the other stars are, are out east in Joel Embiid and Kevin Durant, you know, Kyrie Irving, James Harden. They're all on one team. So interesting little uh, change here. And for the Portland Trailblazers, this has got to be frustrating. Three of the last four years, they've been balanced in the first round. Damian Lillard is one of the best scorers in the history of the NBA. He's the closest thing to Steph Curry. And they've gotten some tough breaks the last couple of years. Last year, Yusef Nurkic, their starting center, was out the entire season. Then this season, they lose Zach Collins in the first month. He's out the entire year. He's a, he's a good player out of Gonzaga. But you have no point guard, no starting point guard for Denver, and you can't find a way to beat them. That's just not acceptable. I look around and say, you know, Terry Stotts is going to be fired as the head coach of Portland Trailblazers. I don't know who they bring in. Um, an interesting guy would be Nate McMillan, the current current interim coach of the Atlanta Hawks. How, why they haven't said that he's going to be the coach moving forward is beyond me, but he's, he's a guy that's coached in Portland before, before as an assistant. I know who wouldn't want to coach Dame Lillard. Obviously Trey Young is an interesting piece, but he's not Dame Lillard. Um, but, What does the front office do? Did they move on from CJ McCollum? Did they insert new pieces to play with Damian Lillard? Because he's a special talent and he's a different guy. He's not like players in the NBA that join super teams to win a title. He wants to win it in the Pacific Northwest and he wants to win it for Portland. But right now, you know, getting bounced in the first round three to four years has got to be frustrating. This guy's one of the best three point shooters in the history of the league. One of the funnest players to watch. And, yeah, he wasn't great last night. He shot three for 11 from 328 points. But he had 55 in game five. You know, you can have a, a little bit more of an off-night shooting when you put 55, but you need guys to step up. And, you know, his co-star, CJ McCollum, just didn't in this series. And that's the reason you're out. Jokic didn't have you know a set man every night to be great, but like I mentioned, he had Austin Rivers some nights. He had Morris that would step up some nights. Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon. It was just a rotating cast of characters that would take a game to help Jokic score the ball, assist, rebound, do what it took to win. And Dean Miller just didn't have that uh, luxury here with CJ McCollum, who's, he's a star, not a superstar, but he just didn't look uh, dynamic or, you know, very, didn't scare anybody in this series for sure. But um, Portland, like I said, I think Terry Stotts will be fired not, too, uh, not too, in not too uh, long a time here. And you know the Nuggets will will prepare for the Phoenix Suns. They have announced when that game one will happen, but um, perhaps this weekend, maybe Sunday uh, at the at the earliest. Um, before we get to hockey, the Boston Celtics they made the conference finals three of the last four years, and this year it was really a disaster. You know they cut Gordon Hayward; he goes back to Charlotte. They still have Jason Tatum. They have Jalen Brown. Jalen Brown has to have wrist surgery he's out for the playoffs he missed some of the regular season Marcus Smart missed a lot of the regular season it was just a terrible regular season for Boston where they had COVID issues they didn't play consistently well Tatum was great but the rest of their team had flaws they never truly had a number one center and it never had a big that you could trust and they they, they just they finished 7th in the Eastern Conference and that's not Boston Celtics like basketball. And then you get to the playoffs and you're matched up against the Brooklyn Nets. The best I Philly finished first, but Brooklyn's the best team in the in the Eastern Conference, if you ask me, with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing the way they are. So when you lose in five games, it's a tough look. It's the Boston Celtics. You know, they're right up there with the best sports franchises in, in history when it comes to winning. That's that's what they do. That's their that's their mantra. Now, they've only won one championship since 2008. They've been to conference finals. But since then, Danny Ainge has been the president of basketball, basketball operations. He hasn't gotten this team back to a finals. They lose in 2010 to the LA Lakers. Since then, no finals appearances. That is not Celtics-like. And this French. so what happens? Danny Ainge decides to retire. Yeah, I call BS on that. Because I remember talking to people and I said, I think Danny Ainge is going to be fired after this season. He's been there way, way too long. This team, yeah, they get to conference finals, but we're not talking about the Sacramento Kings here who would just celebrate getting one playoff win like the New York Knicks did. This is the Boston Celtics. I don't care if you're a, a guy who played for the Celtics, if you're a former player, they don't care. It's like in LA, they will chew you up and spit you out. They did that to Magic Johnson, who is arguably the most beloved Laker of all time. Maybe you could argue Kobe Bryant, but he's right there. Magic is showtime. He is a LA Laker. Danny Inge, you know, wasn't the player that Magic Johnson was, but he's alumni and the Celtics aren't afraid to dispatch of alumni that aren't getting the job done. And I think saying that he's retiring, mutually agreeing to part ways is a nice way of just saying, yeah, we're ready to move on from you, Danny. You, you haven't got it done for us in a long time. And it's already being reported that he could be joining the Utah Jazz potentially in the future to maybe not be a president, but be part of their front office. So that would mean he's not retiring. That would mean Boston really wanted to move on and, you know, he got out the side door uh, instead of, you know, them shoving him through the back door. So with him moving on, there's a, there's a space in the front office. So I'm saying, well, who's going to take over? And the big shock after that, you know, Chris Mannix reports, sports illustrated that current head coach, he's been the head coach eight years. Brad Stevens is leaving is, is not the head coach anymore. He's joining the front office. He's going to be president of basketball operations. This is even more surprising because Brad Stevens is one of the most gifted young coaches in the game. He's only 44 years old. So it's not like he's coached for a while and he's like Phil Jackson. You want to pivot into, into management work because coaching could be a grind, but he said he's burnt out from coaching and wants a new challenge. And He's never been a front office executive. He's a great coach. The reason he got to the NBA was because he was a great coach in college. And this is just seems like a lateral move to me. He doesn't have any experience doing this. And again, you could say it's a promotion. I don't see it as a promotion because you're not the coach. That's, That's what got you to the dance. Now you're doing something completely different. And for the Celtics, I don't think they need a colossal rebuild here. They got a piece that he's a superstar. Jason Tatum, he's a stud. He's, you know, he had a good relationship with Kobe Bryant prior to his death. He reminds me of Kobe a lot because he's not afraid to take big shots. He's great. He's got a great handle. He can do the mid-range game. He can shoot from three. He can drive. He can do it all. Jalen Brown's a solid player. Marcus Smart, really good guy. Um, Six man off the bench. Can score when we need him to. He can steal the ball. He's a utility knife player, so to speak. After that, the roster does get thin. They traded for Evan Fournier. That trade made no sense to me, the trade deadline. Again, they got rid of Daniel Tice. They have Robert Williams. Tristan Thompson's on the roster. But I'd say after those three players, it does get thin. The role players are not great. Uh, Pritchard is, is a not bad for you know white guard off the bench. But they need to improve on their depth of this organization, where if Tatum doesn't score 50, you need to at least have a chance to win a game. And too often this year, if Tatum, even if he scored 30, you see them looking around saying, well, who's going to get a bucket for us next possession if it's not him? And But I do think they have three key building blocks in place. You just need to surround that talent with some good depth and and some pieces that can help you succeed. But, you know, the Celtics, clearly they're showing here that every year your goal is to win. That's the narrative. And for this team, I don't think it's a narrative just like, I don't think it is for the Los Angeles Lakers. Just like, I don't, if I look at the NHL and it'd be hard for me to pinpoint a team where the goal is to win a cup every year, because I'm sure your fan base, if you're a fan, you're like, well, you know, my team's like that. Win a cup every year or bust. It isn't the Toronto Maple Leafs, the Montreal Canadians, the New York Rangers, the original six, I could say honestly, over the past decade, the team that I would put in that conversation is the Boston Bruins, because they've been consistently good over the past decade, and they've added to that roster, and they make change, they'll make trades, and I, I do believe their goal every year is to win a Stanley Cup. These other teams, it isn't. It isn't. You're telling me the Toronto Maple the goal for the Toronto Maple Leafs to win a Stanley Cup over the last decade plus? Try to win a playoff game first, and. The goal for these teams that have the objective to win every year, the New England Patriots, for twenty years, every year it was Super Bowl or bust. That's the mentality from day one of training camp. Tom Brady, he's not playing the game to get to an AFC Championship game and lose. The Boston Celtics have gotten the three, three out of the last four Eastern Conference Finals. They lost them all. That's not the goal of this organization. The goal is to take home the trophy the Larry OB. and for this group there's some some teams that you know the Dallas Cowboys the Toronto Maple Leafs again I'm picking on them but it's easy um the New York Yankees they they say oh every year our goal is to win World Series Stanley Cup Super Bowl etc these teams couldn't close a coffin let alone close you know closing a title here that that's not happening But the Boston Celtics, just their organization where you can use that narrative and it actually has tangible impact and you you can use it correctly. The winning every year narrative is dead in most franchises. Like in Sacramento, in Buffalo and in the NHL, they don't even think about that narrative. They don't even think about. They're like, can we win a game in the next week? The Baltimore Orioles right now in the Major League Baseball, they're like, holy shit, we won two games against the Twins this week. They're not, oh, we got to win every year. No. I'm sure the Yankees fans won't like that I said that, but when's the last time they won? Oh, 2009. Yeah. Is it 2009? 2021. A-Rod's still juicing, but they're still not winning any titles. So uh, not much has changed, I guess. Poor A-Rod. Ben Affleck uh, swooping in for the kill uh, with uh, with JLo, Lo, but uh, can't blame the guy. Um, but anyway, uh, that that's just how I see the South. Uh, when it comes to their head coach, I'm really nobody came to my mind when I'm like, who are they gonna hire? Um, I don't think they'll go to the college road again. They hired Brad Stevens. He did work out to an extent, and he's he's in the front office, so maybe he will look to hire you know, one of his own, so to speak. But I, I do think they need to hire somebody with pedigree, a, a coach that has a winning mentality. Coming to, coming to the Celtics, it's a big job. You know, the, the Lakers did make a hire last year with Frank Vogel, which was surprising. He's not a big name. He's not, you know, sexy, so to speak. But he did work out. They won a championship. And maybe they'll look at the outskirts and, and see what's available to them. But um, uh, I'll be interested to see who the Celtics decide to, decide to hire and uh, to coach coach next year as they begin their offseason um so that we'll talk now about the games last night Uh, it was a interesting night of sports that's for sure uh two two games in the nhl we had the boston islanders and then carolina tampa bay both game threes and we'll start with the boston game now this was this was an islanders hockey game it was tight checking through the first almost 40 minutes of the game. I'd say the first 35 minutes. Tight checking, physical play. I thought both teams were bringing it up physically. Charlie McAvoy, Cal Clutterbuck, some big hits. One on Brandon Carlo in the third period. Uh, He also laid out uh, Taylor Hall early in the game. And it was a chippy affair, for sure. You saw some scrums after the whistle. And, you know, Boston, you know, to their credit, gets on the board early in the first couple of minutes. Craig Smith scores. But after that, it was really... Muck it up. It was, you had to try to score on the power play. Both teams had power plays throughout the night, but couldn't capitalize on them. And it was the last five minutes of the two, of the second period where I saw the Bruins really start to play their game. The Islanders had control over the first 40 minutes, first 35, even though they were down. But the last five minutes, Tuka Rast, they just killed off a penalty and momentum shifted. We saw the Bruins, just start to click. We saw the Taylor Hall, Craig Smith line was 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 great. Uh, Craig Smith got a shot, uh, open look on Varlamov. He got him as blocker. Taylor Taylor Hall responded with the with a shot on the rebound. Varlamov was great last night. Both goalies were just dialed in. But um, we get to we get to uh, throughout the third period, Boston's dominating play. They're getting shot after shot. Varlamov's just sharp in the net. He's weathering all of it. And we see Boston draws a penalty. They but they can't score. They're they're 0 for four in the power play. Islanders are over three last night. And it's less than five minutes to play. It seems like an innocent play. The puck's dumped in, but Matt Barzell gets the puck first. And he's behind the net, and the, the defense is just a little slow. And Tuka Rass a little slow. So Barzel tries to wrap it around past Barzell, past Rass. Rass gets his stick gets a skate there and but Barzal continues to whack at it continues to whack at it and on the third whack before the defense can get there it slides across the line and it ties the game at one now this goal was unacceptable for a couple of reasons number number one the defensive coverage was bad but two Tuka Rask like what are you doing and he wins the game so it ultimately doesn't matter but this goal could have cost him the game and he was out to lunch on that play he it was just laziness it wasn't I heard Twitter last night all the great Boston beat writers because they're just always so accurate all the time. But they uh, they say, "Oh, well, is feeling some. He's injured. Okay, well, is this kid sick again? Does he need to leave the bubble and uh, go deal with that?" Or he was great throughout the rest of the game. But this this was just bad. It was laziness, if you ask me. If this would be like Josh, this was Josh Morrissey in Game One effort on this play where he just didn't care. It was five minutes left of a one goal game. probably should have a little bit more care than he did. But Barzell tapped at home. It was his first of the playoffs. That surprised me. He'd been getting some points, but that was his first ties of the game at one. And we see Bruins take a terrible penalty with 221 left. But And they get some momentum from it. They get some scoring opportunities, but Rast redeemed himself here. He made some big, big saves. He just stops uh, Nelson. He had a slot shot, uh, direct uh, good opportunity on Rast. He makes that save. But we go into overtime and this is where moment you make one play on one end. We see this twice. Uh, it was really a narrative in both games. You make a big play at one end. It can create, you can create momentum on the other. So two minutes and eight seconds into overtime, Rass makes a huge save on Barzell and tight. And then who follows, uh, sorry, Everly gets a shot and then Barzell follows him. He's in tight. He's from me to the computer away. And, Barzell just gets stopped by the glove of Rask. It was a major, major save. It looked like it was going to be the end of the game. Barzell was feeling it at that point, but Rask makes the save. Then two minutes later, Bruins win a defensive draw. McAvoy just decides to bring the puck up the ice. He's carrying the puck, and he drops drops the puck to Marchand as he enters his own. Marchand skating along the boards, just past the faceoff dot, and he fires the puck cross-ice. It nicks the shoulder, of Semyon Varlamov, and beats him, and it goes upstairs to score a goal. Boston wins on the road 2-1. to one. It's Marchand's fifth of the Stanley Cup playoffs and his second overtime winner. He got the, the Game 2 overtime winner uh, in, in Washington. And huge win for Boston. It was a game in the first 35 minutes. Like I said, I think the Islanders were the better team the last 25. It was Bruins playing the way they wanted to play, but to get a win on the road in that building, they get past for off who was great last night. And, you know, Brad Marchand continues to score big goals. This guy has turned himself into a superstar in this league. He's not licking. He's not kissing, giving each other, giving guys hickeys anymore. This guy just cares about winning. It's so clear. And, it's a tough break for Would want this goal back. I know it. it. Yeah, it's it's a great shot. Don't get me wrong, but Arlovski, it's cross ice. Marshans along the boards, and that just can't go in, point blank. Um, he'll he'll look at the tape today and say, oh, I should have had that one. Ten times out of ten, he should have had that one. But you know what? Can you do? Um, for the Islanders. Game four Saturday at, at eight o'clock start, they need to win that game. They can't go back to Boston being down 3-1. I that, that would seal it for them. They're not a team that can come back. They need to at least be square. They did that with Pittsburgh. They they won uh, game four, and they went from there. I, I think if they win game four, it's a series. If Boston wins game four, I wouldn't be surprised to see them wrap it up in five, dispatch at the Islanders, but... Again, this was a one-goal game, goes into overtime. The Islanders lose their first overtime game of the Stanley Cup playoffs. They were 3-0 prior to last night. But Martian continues to deliver and be a a clutch performer for the Boston Bruins. In the second game of the night, it was Carolina at Tampa Bay. And it was the most free-flowing game of the series so far. The first two games were 2-1 wins for Tampa, where I thought they really clogged up the neutral zone. They didn't allow a lot of creative opportunities. And that did kind of hamper their top line, but we saw Sorelli, Stamkos, Kalorn really contribute. And um, but and they were able to to limit Aho's special cost effectiveness. They didn't have time to move out there, and ultimately they scored two goals in the first two games. Now, into last night, they did make one big shift. Peter Morazic was the starting goalie for the Carolina Hurricanes. Prior to last night, it was Alex Nedeljkovic. Who yesterday was nominated for the Calder Trophy for rookie of the year alongside Jason Robertson of the Dallas Stars and Kirill Kaprizov of the Minnesota Wild, but Mrazek has been in Carolina for a number of years. He's been in these playoff games, and to to their to Rob Brendamore's credit, which you shouldn't be surprised him making a good coaching decision, it paid off for him last night. Um, we see uh, we see a close game throughout throughout the night. It, it's it's really close, but in the second period. It was, it was Carolina. It, it was it really was Carolina to uh, Carolina who found their success. Two 5-on-5 five five goals. Svechnikov's heading into the zone. Hedman breaks up the puck. He's chipping at it. But Svechnikov finds it. He drops the puck into a streaking Brett Pesci, who takes a, takes a hard slap shot, goes through the legs of Svechnikov, and beats Andre Vasilevsky over the shoulder. That opens the scoring, and this was a pivotal moment all night. The defensemen of Carolina have to help them create offense, and they did last night. Pesci scores a goal. We'll see what happens on on their other um, scoring opportunities. But throughout these playoffs, Hamilton, Slavin in game six had two points. Um, Brett Pesci, Brady Shea, these guys need to provide some scoring. They didn't have Vincent Trochak last night. He's injured, likely done for the series. They don't have Nino Niederreiter. He's likely done for the series. So they need some guys to step up. Svetchikov and Ajo are going to be there. But their defense are really key for them uh, scoring some goals and, and staying close in these games. So just a few minutes later, Tampa's having a long shift. Jacob Slavin's got the puck in his own zone. He's got the puck. He's just kind of holding it while they change. While there's a change, he fires the puck up the ice to Tevo Teravainen. He tips the puck from the faceoff dot onto the tape of um, Sebastian Ajo, as he enters his own. So he catches the puck on his backhand as he crosses the blue line to stay onside. He goes in on a breakaway, beats Vasilevsky five hole, makes it two nothing. I didn't do the play justice there. It was beauty. Just Slavin, Literally, it's on Teravine and stick for half a second. He tips it onto the tape, tape to tape of Aho on the backhand. He goes streaking in through the five hole. And this was, this is your Carolina slaving. Pesci, these guys, this is who drives them. And Aho, again, we'll talk about clutch players and what he is, but this was one of them. They get a 2-0 lead. They got the momentum, but Carolina, they they wanted to lose at points in this game. They take a stupid penalty. And the Tampa power play continues to hurt people. Um, They set it up. They got possession. They got zone time. Stamkos got the puck in his office. He fires the puck cross ice to Kucherov, who likes to stand on the right side near, near the goal, uh, just above the goal line. He gets the puck. It's on his stick. It's on his stick for half a second. He fires it the point alone in front and he beats Morazic 2-1. It's six, it's points six goal at the Stanley Cup playoffs. And he, he cuts the lead in half. We then go, uh, before the end of the third period, Brady Shea takes a hooking penalty where he's dead tired on a shift. He, um, he hooks, he hooks Kucherov. So then, Stamkos on another power play. Stamkos take uh, takes a shot. Kucherov grabs the puck, but he instead of shooting the puck again, he's so creative. He passes to alone and in, in the slot in front. He beats Mrazek. It's two two. Tampa Bay two for two on the power play. And after Carolina scores two five and five goals, it was the power play, just the penalties killing Carolina as we head into the third period. Um, and. It was a tight game down the stretch. Um, we did see Slavin, Pesci, they start to jump in, creating some offensive zone opportunities. But it was really, this was the, the turning point of the game because this game also went to overtime where start overtime, Tampa had a power play. And we saw Point, Stamkos, Kalorn, all in the same shift, get a great A opportunity. Point was in the slot. He got stopped by the blocker, Morazic. Then Stamkos shot it from his office. Morazic got a piece of it with the blocker went over the net. Kalorin, another slot opportunity, makes a save, freezes the puck. And they kept going with this momentum. And Kucherov and Point were on the ice for over a minute, offensive zone time. Carolina's dead tired. Their D are on a shift for a minute and a half. But at the end of the shift, Nikita Kucherov is a really stupid play. He takes a holding the stick penalty in 200 feet from his own net. He's mad that they stole the puck that didn't score in this play. And he... Ha- he had a good game power play wise, but in this series, he has not been that great. And this is just stupid plays that he does make. He takes a stupid penalty and on the power play, Carolina, not successful to this point, but such a cost on the boards. Ajo is, is down below the goal line. He pops up on the play to the top of the circle. He lets a puck go. It beats, beats Vasilevsky over the blocker off the post and in, and Carolina wins the game on the road, three to two, makes the series two to one. Now, Kucherov deserves to be buried for this. It was a selfish penalty. He didn't score in the play. Clearly, you know they. He was frustrated that he didn't, but he cost his team the game. You know, you you had all the momentum in overtime. Carolina's on their heels. You give them a power play, and credit Sebastian Aho. Last week, when I talked about them winning against Nashville, this guy is a clutch performer. This guy is money. He's, you can take, you can have your Mitch Marners. You can have these guys that make all this money. I'll take a guy that I know is going to be clutch in the playoffs. This guy's been doing it for Carolina. He did it again last night. Two goal performance. Andre Spetsnikov had, had a two point performance. Peter Mrazic played the, one of the best games of his career. You lose last night, the series is over. Who knows now? Yeah, game four Saturday afternoon and it's in Tampa Bay. But Carolina's feeling the momentum now. They're confident. Sebastian Ajo, these guys know they can score on Vasilevsky. They had two goals in their first two games. They had three last night. So Tampa, I'm sure they feel like they should have won that game. And you know what? They probably should have. But Carolina outplayed Tampa in games one and game two, and they lost both. So it's turnabout fair play. I'll be interested to see the style of play that we see in game game four. Because I thought early, it favored... Carolina, but Tampa can also play that free flowing game. They, they just can play that shutdown style. When you see guys like Ajo, Svechnikov start to become creative offensively, they don't want that. They want to keep the game simple. And you have guys, you know, playing defense like Chernak, Luke Shen, um, Hedman to an extent, McDonough. These guys are not, you know, jump up in the play defensemen. They're guys that are really sound defensively. They're going to make the right play nine times out of 10. And I think that's something Tampa will look to get back to in game four. For Carolina, don't take stupid penalties. Cause really five on five, Tampa was not that creative. You take two penalties in the sec- in the second period towards the end of it, Tampa ties the game, and you have to you have to go into overtime, barely squeak out a, a win. If you don't take those penalties, I think Carolina wins the game in, in regulation. And you know, there's way less stress on Carolina. But Aho continues to deliver for this team. Good coaching from Rob Brendan more going to Murazik. Now that doesn't mean Alex Nadolkovich is not the future in net. I think he is. Uh, He's, he's not, he's young. He's not young. I mean, he's not young. He's young, but not too young. He's 25 years old as a goaltender. He's paid his dues down in Charlotte with the checkers, you know, nominated for the Calder trophy. But on a given night, you go to the guy who think gives you the best opportunity to win. And last night was Peter Mrazek. We've seen teams do that throughout Barry Trotz has gone from Sorokin to Varlamov a number of times. And we'll, We'll see where the chips fall, where they may in the series, but interesting game four tomorrow afternoon, five o'clock start between Carolina and Tampa Bay. Tonight, we I mentioned Winnipeg, Montreal, no Mark Shifley, but we'll see how those lines shake up. And then the nightcap, we have Vegas, at, sorry, Colorado at Vegas, game three. And, you know, there's must wins, and but of the series so far, this is the biggest must win because you're playing Colorado. Vegas, you're a really good team. Marc-Andre Fleury's nominated for the Vesna. Probably has a good chance to win it. Max Pacioretty's had a special year. If you lose tonight, it's bleeping over. You probably won't be going back to Colorado. It should be so defeated. Colorado got outplayed in game two. They still found a way to win. I think they'll come out and play better tonight. But there's just something about Vegas. They're too good of a team to go down 3-0 to Colorado. Because if they go down 3-0 to Colorado, I don't think a team has a hope in hell of even competing with the Avalanche. I mean, you got McKinnon, you got McCarr, Landis Cog, and this team is stacked. But I think Flurry will play well tonight. Um, I think you'll see Pacioretty start to score more, uh, create more offensively. You'll see the Marcia so Smith line, really start to dance and, and create some opp- uh, high-end scoring opportunities. So I'll take the Vegas Golden Knights to win at home tonight to make it a 2-1 series and make it a little more, more interesting. Um, also take... Winnipeg. I'll take Winnipeg to tie it up tonight. They can't go back 0-2 oh, going back to the Bell Centre on Sunday. But I think I think we'll see both teams, both home teams win tonight and uh, make it a 1-1 series and a 2-1 series, respectively. Um, a lot today. Uh, French Open, of course, yesterday I say Arnya Sabalenka is going to win the title for the women. She's out this morning, of course. Lost to Palian Chekova in three sets. Uh, so you know good on me to pick her and she's already out of the tournament. Just looking at scores here. Victoria has already moved on. She beat uh, Madison Keys in straight sets this morning. So impressive win for her. We saw uh Roger Federer win yesterday. He uh beat Marin Cilic, his old uh, veteran running mate in in four sets. He's now 10 and 1 all time against um uh, against um sorry against Cilic. And this morning we see Kanisha Corey, Medvedev is supposed to take the court today, uh, John Isner this afternoon. Serena Williams is also uh, slated to face Danielle Collins of the United States uh, this afternoon. But your big tennis tomorrow, we'll see Federer, Nadal Djokovic in action. And also on the women's side, we'll see Americans, world number four, Sophia Kennan faced world number 12, Jessica Pagula, daughter of the uh, of the Pagula family, owns the Buffalo Bills and Buffalo Sabres, fun fact. And then we'll see 16-year-old Coco Goff of, uh, of the United States face Jen Brady, Jennifer Brady, who's been to the semifinals in two of the last three majors, really emerging as, as, a, as a star. And she'll look to continue that impressive resume down in Roland Garros. But this weekend, we got uh, USC Fight Night. We got NHL, NBA, uh, Major League Baseball, the French Open, the World Hockey Championships, Canada. We'll play the United States tomorrow morning in the first of the semifinals, and we'll see Finland play uh, Germany in the in the second semifinal. So Canada is looking to, to they have a chance to at least medal this weekend. Obviously, it would be nice to see them bring home a gold after Troy Stetcher with this beautiful feed to Andrew Majnapani yesterday to push Canada over the over the Russians into the semifinal. So all that this weekend should be a lot of fun. Um, I was going to do a podcast this morning with Matt Wright. Uh, but he got tied up with work, so that we'll do that at a later date. Um, he's you know, he's a good guest, frequent guest, so he'll be back sometime soon. But lo- look out this weekend. Uh, last Sunday, I did a pot, potentially do one uh, this weekend as well. Just with so much going on, I like to keep up to date with everything. So keep a, keep a lookout for that. But everybody, uh, have a great weekend. Uh, hopefully the weather is nice, so enjoy it. Enjoy the sports, and uh, we'll talk soon.